Welcome to Stock in Development, the podcast where usually two media strategy nerds dissect what's developing in the world of entertainment. Today it's different because I am all alone. Carl had some personal stuff he needed to uh, take care of, and I was like, should we just rest, take it as a vacation? But there has been some stuff happening this week including one kind of breaking news that just happened 10 minutes ago before I started recording on Thursday, August 24th. So I thought, let's give this a try. Not sure if this is going to work out, but we'll go on an adventure, dear listener, you and me together. So I wanted to come to you and speak mostly about Activision Blizzard and uh, Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard because there's been some, some restructuring that's happening. And we'll spend most of our time today talking about them. But something that just happened was that Warner Brothers Discovery just announced that they are pushing Dune 2 from its November release to March of 2024. And the main reason that it's quoted for this are the actors and writers strike. This movie had already finished production and it was one of those things that it seems like the studio it's doing some math, some calculation, and feeling like their inability to market the movie together with the actors, because as part of the strike, the actors can't promote anything that they're a part of for the studios. Um, They'd rather wait. Most of their releases for Q4 are staying in place. They include Aquaman and Wonka and other things like this. Wonka, another Timothy Chalamet movie. But the interesting part here that... I I can only brainstorm on my own because Carl is not here, is if this makes sense at all. And my first reaction is that this has been floating around as a potential option for the past couple of months. And it was very striking to me for a couple of reasons. The first one is Dune was going to be a huge moneymaker for Warner Brothers. Warner Brothers is a public company. They're traded. And that's probably a billion dollars because it opened early in November that are just going out the door and that now are not going to generate any money for them. The second one is because it seems to signal Warner Brothers' discovery confidence in the uncertainty of the strike being over before November. So three months from now. And that's pretty sad. They, the, the two sides continue to, to speak, but on that math, it seems like seeing Warner Brothers being willing to move so much money to the future because of their lack of confidence to for the strike to ending, where they are one of the key players in the strike, it's almost like they'd rather not compromise or just wait till the strike to continue, till it hits a point that is more favorable for them, and get the heat of Dune being released by almost six months than being saying, okay, this is a huge part of our business. The compromise, how far we are from where we want to be is X or Y. And that was just a, a surprising outcome. I, I didn't expect that to happen. Um, the other thing that I was thinking just before coming in and recording was that maybe Warner Brothers is also taking a view into Dune that it's a little bit broader than um, just the strike and just Dune in isolation. And it might be something more about they're going in this long journey of restructuring and cost-cutting. And they might also be betting on the market, kind of giving them a pass and saying, 
well, yeah, you, you're still restructuring. Some of these pains are already baked in into your share price. And if June doesn't come up until later, you know, the downside is not as big as it could be. This might be me thinking a little bit too much about it, but this was just something that was very surprising to see. He's been floated, and every time I saw the news, I was like, there is no way. There is no way. Either because it's going to be done, or the impact that they're going to have for marketing directly from the actors, it's still not going to be that much for the revenue that they can get. They can show trailers, they can show them talking about another uh, from before, and just generally, it seems to be a combination of data points about how Warner Brothers is thinking about their business. That was just uh, out of left field. People on Twitter are still reacting. There's still kind of no consensus, but it does seem like most people were surprised. There are a couple of tweets about Warner Brothers just destroying their business just to show, uh, you know, the actors and the writers who who has the strongest card. But if this is truly a power play, um, is one that they they better be certain is not going to come back um, and bite them. Uh, we'll see what happens. We'll keep you posted next week when Carl is back. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, but what I wanted to talk the most about is Activision Blizzard and Microsoft. So last year, Microsoft announced this almost $70 billion acquisition of uh, one of the biggest game publishers out there, Activision Blizzard, who manages things like uh, Call of Duty, like um, Candy Crush through their acquisition of King, um, and they also have things like Warcraft. And this always, the way it made sense strategically, it still came from the perspective of like, these are big enough franchises that Microsoft is not going to make them exclusive to the Xbox, to their console. However, there was a lot of this movement and a lot of this investment being put into the cloud gaming services. So for, in Xbox case is Game Pass. And there was a lot of belief that the, the key direction where this was going was in a couple of years, potentially the consoles are not going to play that much a role if the technology continues to evolve to the point where the cloud um, offerings is, is good or is better. Of course, since then, we've had things like Google Stadia being by far the largest kind of poster child of this service and this type of product probably doesn't work. It has a lot of technological challenges with with latency and with some of these things that you know are so instantaneous. It was just stuff that Google couldn't figure out, at least in the time that they have. The business model and the way they tried to make it happen didn't work. And Microsoft came in and there was this perspective that Microsoft had actually a capability in gaming. Xbox has been going now a pretty strong brand for two decades almost. They also have the cloud technology and the cloud information. They already were a game producer. They already managed, but they also owned things like Minecraft, Minecraft and Diablo before. And that this actually made sense for them, just given how patient they wanted to be and the role that they had in the market, that they could pull it off. But what was announced today is that one of the, lar one of the last um, regulation, regulatory approvals that they needed to get was from the UK regulatory body. 
And earlier this week, they announced that in order to get approval from them, they were restructuring the deal. And basically what they're doing is that they are selling the rights for all of the games of Activision Blizzard to get cloud computing rights, and they're selling them to Ubisoft, which is another pretty big cloud publisher, game publisher, sorry. So basically what they're saying is Ubisoft, for the game of the next Call of Duty, for the next 15 years, any game that Activision Blizzard launches, you, Ubisoft, can decide. You have the rights and you can sell it to any cloud provider that you want, cloud gaming provider that you want. So that includes Microsoft. Xbox can still buy from Ubisoft um, the ability to play these games, but now they're also available to NVIDIA and they're also available to PlayStation. And they're also going to be available to Nintendo Switch if they ever want to buy some of these things. And this has been actually pretty surprising because this was kind of the key value proposition where it made sense for Microsoft to own it as opposed to just partnering with Activision and being like, yeah, I just want to make your, your games exclusive to Game Pass. And this feels like the biggest piece of that pie. And this, this deal was first announced in, I think, 2019 or 2020. And what makes me think is, again, similar to Stadia, that just where the technology has gone, Microsoft has lost some level of confidence that the future is going to depend in such high percentage of their ability to succeed in cloud subscription gaming, so Game Pass, and just either diminishing the physical console presence or just, you know, in 15 years or in 20 years, just truly getting rid of the console and just going straight into the cloud. The other way is, the other reason could be, Microsoft has been doing a lot of things very well the last couple of years, and their push into AI in the last year and a half with their partnership with OpenAI, a lot of their move towards services, um, they're doing pretty well. And there is another version of this that talks a little more about their focus and saying like, yeah, this piece of growth that we thought was going to be a certain level, it's not going to be. And as part of this, Ubisoft is paying them for, for, for these rights. And it's not... It hasn't been disclosed. I'm just checking here if, how much this would be. But this is just going to be, again, some finance um, help that Microsoft is going to get. And it could speak to focus. It could speak to capabilities. It could speak to uh, priorities. Uh, my sense is that it probably has more to do with the gaming market and the changes that it's gone through in the last couple of years and where the technology has gone and how also... You know, there is a lot of specialization happening in the in the data centers and a lot of the chips that you need and a lot of the latency work that is needed. Right now, what's hot is AI and it's GPUs and it's different type of hardware. And it doesn't mean Microsoft is not going to do many things at the same time, but it might just represent, hey, you are not going to be first in line for this type of innovation. And I wonder if that's something that came from there. The last one, maybe the Occam's Razor version of this, is that they truly thought this was the only way to get that final approval. That's difficult to believe because if, if that is true, this feels like giving the most important piece of the deal in exchange for approval to the level that the deal might not make sense. Um, so that alone is probably 
not a, not a strong enough reason. Um, but just kind of a very, very surprising, pretty uh, from left field decision. I think people were thinking, yeah, maybe they're going to do some other type of agreement. They're going to sell other types of rights. They sold off worldwide rights to cloud gaming, either subscriptions or a la carte. They can still make them exclusive for the physical Xbox. Some of these games, if they choose to, again, some of these games are so big that closing the, the ability for PlayStation or PC to get access to them would probably be shooting themselves in the foot. But, um, yeah, kind of an interesting turn of events in the gaming industry. I know Carl really enjoys this, so I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about it next week as well. The last thing that I wanted to touch on was something that it was a follow-up from last week when we talked about ESPN. Because today was reported, I saw an article in the information, but it might have been reported first somewhere else, that ESPN, we talked about how they are looking for strategic partnerships and who could potentially be a fit. They are actively talking with Amazon, uh, not for a complete acquisition of ESPN, but just as, as a partner. Amazon, of course, similarly to how we talk about Apple, it's interesting because it could partner at different levels, right? There could be a version of this that is like, how do you help with distribution and how do you make ESPN Plus be front and center in all the Amazon Fire devices? And how do you put it as a channel in Amazon Prime and all of these things? It could also be that it includes some type of uh, ride sharing where you know ESPN has Monday night, it's also gonna be on Amazon Prime or something that they distribute, right? If ESPN has the right for Tuesday and Wednesdays NBA games, Tuesdays go to Amazon and Wednesdays go to ESPN. There could be some technological um, sharing with ESPN, of course, comes from Disney, who have all of their their um, their streaming stuff that they acquired in MTAC. Carl uh, is going to kill me. This streaming company that came out of, the, of Major League Baseball. Um, but Amazon, you know, has has ownership there. Um, who knows? It's it's just interesting because it has a lot of different layers that could come together to make this make sense. Um, for example, the today Amazon has the right for Thursday night football, but Amazon doesn't produce that show. It's produced by NBC. Like the crew, the you know, cameraman, trucks, uh, graphics, all of that is NBC. So there is just other ways that ESPN could take over some of those things. Very early, this was also just reported today. Um, but another interesting interesting uh, development. A lot of happening, not a lot, not a lot stuck in development. I guess I'm just gonna close out by saying that with the first thing that we talked about, with Dune 2 being um, pushed back, it probably means that my one of my hot takes about 2023 is not going to become a reality, which was that 2023 was going to break the all-time box office record. It wasn't already trending to be that way, even with uh, with Barbenheimer, but I'm going to say that it's because of Dune that it didn't happen. Um, but anyway, on that note, thank you everyone for listening to this short, weird, Eitan Alone episode. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye.